0: All right, let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Obadiah this morning, the book of Obadiah, Obadiah chapter one is where we are going to be, the book of Obadiah and chapter one, Obadiah and chapter one, Obadiah is actually only one chapter Interesting. We know that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and that all scripture is profitable and all scriptural. All scripture is equally important. The book of Obadiah is kind of an interesting book. It's a prophecy that contains one chapter, and really it's one prophecy, and the prophecy has to do with Edom. So we're going to go ahead and look at this a little bit this morning. Obadiah chapter 1. Beginning in verse number one, once you find it, if you just stand in reverence to God's word this morning, Obadiah chapter one, and beginning in verse number one. The word of God says, The vision or the prophecy of Obadiah. Thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom We have heard a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent out among the heathen. Arise, ye. And let us rise up against her in battle. Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen. Thou art greatly despised. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee, thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, who shall bring me down to the ground? Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, Thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. When it's payback time is the title of my message this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we ask now that you would bless the service and bless the preaching of your word. Lord God, may the power of your Holy Spirit be in it. And Father, I pray that you'd speak to us this morning. If there's anyone here who does not know Christ as personal Savior, Lord, I pray that each and every one of us would be able to set aside our pride this morning and allow you to have your way with us. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated this morning. Obadiah chapter 1, the vision of Obadiah. And then it starts out by saying uh, it's concerning Edom. We've heard a rumor from the Lord or an announcement, if you will. It's not whispering. It's, it's actually an announcement that uh, God has made an ambassador or a messenger is sent among the heathen. Arise ye, and let us rise up against her in battle. And so God is calling arms, and he's calling all the, all the heathen around Edom to attack Edom and to bring Edom to the ground. Now, there are many themes throughout the Word of God. That we would do well to take heed. One of the greatest and most comforting, of course, is the theme of repentance and forgiveness. Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 12, verse number 31. Wherefore I say unto you, All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven men. But the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And so all manner of sin." And all manner of blasphemy shall be forgiven men. That is such a comfort because every one of us here this morning, if we would be honest, would have to say, I am a sinner in need of forgiveness. And of course, the Bible says that all sin will be forgiven except the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. Now, that is very important right there because the blasphemy against or speaking against the Holy Ghost as it is put in the next verse, is simply non repentance. You see, the ministry of the Holy Ghost is to convict the world of sin. John chapter sixteen reminds us of that. That uh, uh, the uh, the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit would would come and and God would send the Holy Spirit. God would send the Holy Ghost. And in verse number eight, when He is come. He will reprove or convict the world of sin. You know, everyone knows sin is wrong. That is why we go through great lengths. And we're going through great lengths in our society and our country. We're going through great lengths to question people or, I'm sorry, to silence people who will bring out sin. Because when sin is brought out, then people are convicted. And quite frankly, people do not want to be convicted of sin today. And so uh, the word of God says that uh, the Holy Spirit will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they believe not in me. And so as we uh, understand this, when we don't repent, don't accept Christ as savior and don't act on the conviction of the Holy Ghost, we literally speak against or blaspheme against him. With true repentance, however, all is forgiven. There are some great examples of this throughout the throughout the word of God. David is the first to come to mind and we know that boy, David was was convicted and he repented of his sin the city of Nineveh is another great example of God's mercy when Jonah was sent to that wicked city and that wicked city upon hearing the message that Jonah preached uh, they repented in sackcloth and ashes they responded to the conviction of the Holy Ghost rather than blaspheme the Holy Spirit and as a result God forgave the entire nation, that entire city. Another theme, however, that is just as vital but less comforting is the theme, of co- the theme of consequence or the wrath of God. We tend to forget God's a God of love. We understand that. God's a God of grace, and we love that one. God is a God of mercy, and that one we also love. But he's also a God of wrath, which a lot of people like to deny. God is not a God of wrath. You can't be a God of love and a God of wrath. Well, apparently you can because God is both. We also need to understand that God is a God of revenge. He's a God of revenge. Vengeance is mine saith the Lord, we're going to look at that here in, in a little bit, but uh, though grace is available to all, most will choose to get what they deserve. Bible says that wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate to narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. God has given us a road map. In his word, he leads us to salvation. But most people will never listen to that roadmap, and many will never even open the road map. God has given us this wonderful roadmap. He has also given us a vehicle, the church purchased by his own blood, to help us get there in easier fashion and, and understand it. Ignoring the roadmap, however, leads to consequences, and the end result is the opposite of salvation. The end result is getting what we deserve. The end result, you could say, is payback. Our text this morning is addressed to a nation that was about to receive her comeuppance. Edom was at odds with God and with God's people. In the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel writes concerning Edom. I will lay my vengeance upon Edom by the hand of my people Israel. And they shall do in Edom according to mine anger and according to my fury. And they shall know my vengeance, saith the Lord God. And so Edom is about to learn that God is a God of revenge. Edom is about to learn that God is a God of consequence, that God is a God of justice, and that even though they had been allowed to live wickedly year in and year out and century in and century out, uh, it did not go unnoticed by God. We must first, however, understand a little history about Edom before we can completely understand the lessons that God has for us in the book of Obadiah. It's helpful to understand that God chose a man by the name of Abram. And we know that going all the way back to the beginning of the history of Israel. God chose Abram to be a blessing to all the people of the earth. And it would be through Abram's seed that God would create a great nation from which the Savior of the world would come. That nation would be Israel. Abram, therefore... Begat a son named Isaac so you have Abram and of course we know the whole history of Abram and how that Isaac was a miracle baby because both Abram and his wife were well beyond childbearing years when Isaac was born but God had promised Abram I'm going to give you a a seed I'm going to give you a child I'm going to give you a nation and so Uh, Abram begat Isaac, and then, of course, Isaac, once he got married, Isaac's wife gave birth to twins. The first was Esau, and the second to the twins was Jacob. And, of course, we know the story behind them. Esau gave up his birthright, even though he was the firstborn. He gave his birthright to, uh, to Jacob one day simply because he was hungry. Because Esau was a man of the world, Esau was a man of the flesh, he lived for the here, he lived for the now. So he gave up his birthright and deferred to Jacob, whose name God changed to Israel. Later, however, Esau would regret giving up his birthright, and once he found out that Jacob was the one that would get the blessing and Jacob would get the inheritance. Esau became enraged and he was going to kill Jacob. And so Jacob and Esau were at odds. Well, they would in time come back together. We know that Jacob would give birth to the 12 men who would become the 12 tribes of Israel. He didn't give birth, his wives did. But he would beget, beget these 12 men that would become the 12 tribes of Israel. And they would become a great nation under King Saul and under King David and under King Solomon. It would become a great nation. Esau, on the other hand, would also beget a nation. The nation that he would beget was known as the nation of Edom. And just like Jacob and Esau, Israel and Edom were always at odds. Even to the point when enemies would come in and would hurt Israel, Edom would often join or would offer to join and would take part in the plunder of Israel. Edom treated Israel with disdain. They were wicked, and they were mean, and they were not pleasant at all. Edom was always at odds with Israel. And in Obadiah's prophecy, we read about some of the mistreatments of Edom toward Israel. And had Edom accepted the God of Israel, Edom also would have, been accepted by God. But Edom wanted nothing to do with the God of Israel. And so Obadiah's message includes the dreaded theme. Edom, it's now payback time. Not simply because you've been at odds with Israel, but because you have sinned and you have exalted yourself and you think no one can touch you, but payback is coming. And so in the book of Obadiah, though written to and for Edom, I think we can learn several things about payback time. And the first thing that I want you to learn this morning is, number one, God is not as inactive as we may think. God is not as inactive as we may think. You know, sometimes you look around the world and it looks as if God has just taken his hands off the world and put his hands up and said, well, let the world do whatever the world wants. But I want you to understand everything's been orchestrated and God is not as inactive as one might think. You know, one of the things about Jesus hanging on the cross that... um, brings uh makes this uh uh more clear to me so i remember when well i don't remember but i remember as i read when jesus was on the cross and one of the things that people would say was uh, uh he says that he's the son of god why doesn't his father come in and help him it's as if god's totally absent from all this but we know that behind the scenes god was orchestrating everything From Judas Iscariot uh, betraying Jesus, to Jesus being tried, to Jesus being buried, to Joseph of Arimathea offering his tomb for Jesus to lay in. It had all been prophesied about. It was all coming to fruition. God is not as inactive as you think though you can 't always see it, God is always working behind the scenes, and he 's always in control, unlike us. You know there are some times where we think we 're in control, and then all of a sudden we lose control and realize wow i 'm not in control Have you ever uh, <laughs> I remember one time I was driving my truck, and i, I was I was in high school, a very young uh, driver at the time and I was driving my truck down uh, one of the main roads actually in Everett where we grew up and it had snowed so there were a few piles of slush here there and everywhere but I really wasn't paying much attention and I really didn't care and I thought I was in total control because the road was mostly dry. I remember that I saw this patch and I thought I'm just going to fly through that and uh, see how, how much slush I can splash on the side and everything And as I did, I went through, and all of a sudden, my truck was facing the other direction. And I can just remember my heart just stopped, because I had no control over where that truck was going to go. Uh, Thankfully, it just spun and was headed in the other direction, and so I just drove it in that direction and went up into the 7-Eleven, and it just stopped, and and really, I just said, thanks, Lord, for, for helping me and saving me. And then the next thing that I did was I looked around to make sure nobody saw. Because I don't want anyone to think I'm ever out of control. It was as, it was as if, you know, I did that on purpose. I wanted to go to 7-Eleven. I just didn't know I wanted to go to 7-Eleven. And so I just did a, did a 180 and went into 7-Eleven, you know, like i meant to do it. You know, there are many times in life, whether you're driving a car or doing something else, where maybe it turns out okay, but if you were honest, you'd have to say, man, it's just by luck because I was completely out of control. God's never out of control. The wheel never slips out of God's hand. God never does anything by accident. God is always working behind the scenes, which is why God never has to change his plan. I changed my plan. I wasn't planning on going to 7-Eleven, but I did. I think I even went in and bought something just just so it would look like. That's what I meant to do. God never has to change his plan midstream because he's always working behind the scenes. Before it happened, God already knew it. Look at 1 Kings chapter 22. 1 Kings chapter 22. And I think we can take great comfort in the fact God is in control. Regardless of who you voted for in the election, God is in control. Regardless of the things that are being signed, God is in control. In 1 Kings chapter 22. Israel was experiencing their worst king and queen, I guess you could say, wicked and evil, even to the point that they were slaughtering the prophets of God. Anyone who would dare preach on God's side or preach the truth or preach the word of God, they were being executed. It was a wicked time. It was a wicked king. And we know King Ahab, we know of one instant where he killed an innocent man simply because he wanted that man's vineyard, a wicked king. And I'm sure that there were people that were looking around saying, Where is God? Why isn't God doing anything? Why is this? man and his wife why why do they continue to prosper and they just get wealthier and they're stealing vineyards from people and and they're just driving our country into the ground where is god oh but god was working behind the scenes all along a day came where Ahab wanted to go to Ramoth Gilead and he wanted to win it back or take it back. And, and so he had gotten the king of Judah to side with him. And, and they were de- trying to decide whether, or whether they should actually go and do it. Ahab's mind was already made up. And of course all of his prophets were telling him, go, go, God is with you, God is with you. But in 1 Kings, chapter 22, and in verse number 19, he receives another message from another prophet of God who tells Ahab God's orchestrating this whole thing because it's payback time. 1 Kings, chapter 22, verse number 19. Micaiah said, Hear thou, therefore, the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing by him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who shall persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said, On this manner, and another said, On this manner. Now keep in mind uh, these that he's talking to, that God is talking to, they are angels, both good and, and bad angels. God's in control of them all. The Bible tells us the Lord said, Who shall persuade Ahab that he may go and fall? One said on this manner and one said on that, uh, on that manner. So we understand this. God's already orchestrated the fall of Ahab. He's already put, he'd put things in action. Verse number 21 says, There came forth the spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I'll persuade him. And the Lord said unto him, Wherewith? And he said, I'll go forth and I'll be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, Thou shalt persuade him and prevail also. Go forth and do so. God working behind the scenes. We see it behind the scenes in the life of Saul, who later would become the Apostle Paul. You know, I'm sure that as Saul went into church after church after church, And the Bible says he wreaked havoc in the churches and he caused harm in the churches. He had people arrested in the churches. We know he had people executed in the churches. And I'm sure that many of the churches and many of the Christians were praying, Lord, why do you allow this man to continue to get away with what he's getting away with? But what they did not know is God was already working behind the scenes. You see, one of the men that Paul had executed was a man by the name of Stephen. And as uh, Stephen was preaching the word of God before his execution, Saul was there. And the Bible tells us that after hearing Stephen uh, preach the word of God, and after watching his execution, that the Holy Spirit began to work. On Saul now Saul he responded to his conviction much like many people do, in that he became enraged and he became angry, just like I believe many in America, the reason that they want to silence Bible preaching uh, preachers and they want to control the internet and the reason that they want to call uh, call Bible preaching hate speech and outlaw it. Is because there's a conviction that comes with the preaching of the Word of God. And there's only one or two ways you can respond to that conviction. You can become enraged by it and, and act like Saul, in which you are trying to get rid of it altogether. Or you can submit to it. And you can say, I'm gonna follow the calling of the Holy Spirit and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I'm no longer going to fight against it. Well, Saul at first chose rage. And this conviction caused him to go into churches, to rip families apart, to execute Christians, to wreak havoc, as the Bible says. He wreaked havoc on the church. But the reason he was doing it was because of the pricks he was feeling in his heart. The conviction that the Holy Spirit, finally one day as he's on his way to Damascus, the Bible says that Jesus met him on the way and he fell on the ground. And Jesus asked him and told him this. He said, Saul, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. That conviction that you're feeling. Saul, you are going to drive yourself crazy. Why don't you just submit? Oh, and then the very next statement, Lord, what will you have me to do? He decided, I'm not going to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to commit the unpardonable sin. I'm going to listen to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to repent. Saul was converted. He would change his name to Paul. And then many, I believe, would understand. God was working behind the scenes all along. It's amazing. God works behind the scenes. And we don't see it, but we've got to believe it. We've got to trust it. We've got to know. God's always in charge. People think they are getting away with the way they are living. They need to remember that God is long-suffering, but he hasn't given up the throne of the universe to anybody. God would use the heathen. Getting back to our text here in the book of Obadiah, an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye and let us rise up against her in battle. God would use the heathen to take care of Edom. Why we know this, God even used Babylon to get Israel's attention. As Israel fell further and further and further away from the Lord. God is not as inactive as we might think. He is active everywhere. And the eyes of faith will see it. Well, not only do we need to learn that God is not as inactive as we think. Number two, the second thing that we learn from Obadiah here is we are not as invincible as we may think. We are not as invincible as we may think. Look, the Bible tells us in verse number 3 of Obadiah chapter 1. The pride in thine heart hath deceived thee. There's only one reason people reject the gospel. It's not because they don't believe, though that's what they'll tell you. But the only reason to reject the gospel is pride. Eyes have too much pride. I just, uh, there's no way that I'm going to submit to that and no way that I'm going to put myself under that. Uh, It's pride. I've gotten this far by myself and I'm going to continue on. I will never need the salvation of that Bible or of that God. Or we'll hear something about God that we don't like. God's a God of revenge. Well, I'm not going to serve a God like that. God's a God of wrath. Well, I'm not going to serve a God like that. God's a God who sends people to hell. I'm not going to serve a God like that. It's pride. It's arrogance. We think we know better. Thy pride has deceived thee, he says. Thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, who shall bring me down to the ground? I've heard many people say, well, we're just going to have a big party because only the fun people are going to hell anyway. Um, Verse number four. Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. Oh, no, don't put your trust in the things of this world. They're going to disappoint you. Don't put your trust in people. They're going to disappoint you. This morning's message, uh, even men of God, we are to honor them. But you don't idolize anybody. They'll disappoint you. You know, it's amazing how fast people will turn on you and change their opinion of you. If you don't have a close personal relationship with God, you will find that you are truly all alone. This morning, as I was going over my message again, I started thinking of, about people who have been turned on on an instant who thought they had, they just had the world in their hands. My certain, uh, uh, certain celebrities. I think of Mr. Weinstein and, and how that, boy, it seemed like that the whole world wanted to be a part of his crew. And now everyone, even those who praised him, try to distance from him as much as they possibly can. You know, the psalmist lamented in Psalm 41, verse number 9. He says, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. Paul, in his last letter that he would write to Timothy in Second Timothy, When he is being tried, he said, at my first answer, no man stood with me. You would think after decades of ministry, leading people to the Lord, starting churches, that someone would stand with Paul. But he says, no man stood with me. All men forsook me. Oh, I pray, God, that it may not be laid to their charge, notwithstanding the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Thankfully, Paul's trust was not in people. It was in the Lord. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. I guarantee you there was a time in Demas' life where he realized the world has nothing to offer of course, we know that all Christ's disciples forsook Jesus and fled. But the Bible also tells us that Jesus prayed to God the Father and was strengthened. Luke twenty-two forty-three, 43, And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. Don't put your relationship with people over your relationship with God. People will forsake you. God has promised never to leave. Or to forsake. Don't trust your own strongholds or opinions either. You see, Esau had a pretty high opinion about himself, and so did Edom. Notice verse number two of Obadiah chapter one. God says, "Behold, I've made thee small among the heathen. Thou art greatly despised." Edom, you have all of these—you uh, have all of these strongholds, if you will. You have all these alliances, but I want you to know, you're going to be hated. You're going to be despised, and they're all going to turn on you. I'll forever remember the response of an elderly man to me when I was out door knocking one day. And I talked to him on the street and I invited him to church. And I remember he handed me, handed me my track back and said, I don't need this. He says, I've made it this far on my own. As if, you know, to say to me, who was very young at the time, you, have no, you, you don't know anything about life which I really still don't. But you know, the Bible does tell me a lot about death. And there's a way that seems right unto a man, and the end thereof are the ways of destruction. Concerning Edom, her fortress city of Petra, is said to have been in a, in a mountainous region, and that's, that's why the description... The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee, though thou dwellest in the, ro- the clefts of the rocks. Her fortress city of Petra was in a mountainous region and could be accessed only by traveling through a narrow corridor surrounding by cliffs that reached 2,000 feet high. In days before, planes. This would make it nearly impregnable and impossible to overcome. And so Edom thought, we're safe. As long as we're in Petra, no one can touch us. But look at what God says. As they say, the end of verse number three, Edom says, who shall bring me down to the ground? Verse number four, though thou exalt thyself as the eagles, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down saith the Lord. My, in spite of all these things that gave the Edomites such confidence, it's interesting to note that Edom no longer even exists. If this was a confident country. This was a prideful country. We set up strongholds and defenses in our own lives that give us very high opinions of ourselves. I love to hear young people talk about how healthy they are and, and how in shape they are and I think yeah you just wait because it's all coming crumbling down one day you'll want to work out and you won't be able to not me and I can already hear it not me oh you just wait payback time Remember talking to a kid one day and somehow the a subject of smoking came up and, and, and he smoked. He was young, maybe twenty years old, and just you know, thought essentially I can handle it. It's like, you know, that's what everyone your age says. I can handle it. Um, the problem is it all catches up to you. I've watched kids eat garbage. You know what? I can eat whatever I want and not get fat. Well, guess what? So could I at one point. But it all catches up to you. Same thing morally, scripturally. Well, I can live however I want. I've gotten this far on my own. Guess what? It's all going to catch up to you. We set up these alliances with religion and good works that will deceive us. God calls them works of iniquity, no matter how sincere they are. In Matthew chapter 7, he says that they're works of iniquity. God's not as inactive as we think. We are not as invincible as we think, regardless of what we do physically to help ourselves be strong, regardless of what we do or what we think we do spiritually to help us be strong when we obey God and do God's will. That's who God blesses. And number three, number three, we're not as innocent as we think. God's not as inactive as we think. We are not as invincible as we think. And we're also not as innocent as we think. Well, I don't think I've done anything to deserve going to hell. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All. And the only reason that we can think that is because we compare ourselves to worldly standards, not to godly standards. Well, nobody's perfect. You know, many who make no commitment to the Lord think themselves innocent because they're pretty good people consequences come to those who never make a commitment one way or another. If you've ever been in a trial or been attacked you know that you have animosity not only toward those who attacked but also those who stepped back and simply watched you do battle. You ever been in a situation where someone could have helped you but they just Stood back, just kind of waited to see. Almost as if they're waiting to see which side they need to jump on. Uh, I don't know about you. But I have less regard for the people who do nothing. than even for the people who maybe jump on the wrong side, but at least they jumped on the side. Jesus said that if you're stepping back, watching the battle, you're the enemy. In Luke chapter 11, verse number 23, He that is not with me is against me. He that gathereth not with me scattereth. It's like that teammate that puts the same uniform on that you do. Goes and steps out on the field or out on the court with you says I'm with you, says I'm a teammate, but when it comes time to play the game, does absolutely nothing. And in doing nothing, they actually help the other team. That's what God says we do when we just sit back. Some people will never get saved because their thinking is, well, I've never rejected God. Never trusted in him as my Savior, but I've never rejected him. By never trusting him, you've, re- you've rejected him. Don't be deceived. None of us are innocent as we think. Jeremiah would, would write that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Romans 3:10, as it is written, There is none righteous, no not one. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin. Is death. God's not as inactive as we think. He watches our every move. He is not, or we are not, as invincible as we think. We're also not as innocent as we think. Judgment day is coming. Bible tells us it's a, uh, that it's uh, appointed unto man once to die after this the judgment. We may not even experience that we may we may see judgment before as we're just getting closer and closer to the day when Jesus comes back. Question is, are we ready for it? We may not think that we deserve it, but God's word says otherwise. If we haven't accepted him, if we're not living for him. Inactivity does not make one innocent. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. With every head bowed and every eye closed.